it's Stephen Henderson coming up on the podcast today. We're going to talk about the latest round of charges against former President Donald Trump, what the charges are, how they fit into the context of the other charges the former president faces, and importantly, what they mean here in the state of Michigan, where the state GOP is in real turmoil, in part about what to do with the question of Donald Trump. Dennis Darnoy, a Republican political consultant, will join us and we'll hear from a Trump voter as well. Dennis, welcome back to Detroit Today. Yes, good morning, oh, Stephen. There Thank you are. You. Oh, great. Um, okay, so I want to first get your reaction to the news yesterday. 13 charges against Donald Trump, uh, 18 charges against Donald Trump, uh, and then 13 uh, co-conspirators, I think, is the is the, are the right numbers. Um, uh, talk about how this adds to the calculus that Republicans are are going to have to make about who to support in next year's uh, Republican primary, and how that plays out here uh, in Michigan, where I think we have a particularly troubled uh, state GOP. Yeah, so I mean, as it as it pertains to let's say the the national stage. Uh, you know, Donald Trump is fusing the two things. He's taking the the primary election and his criminal cases, and he's turning it into really one campaign. Uh, and it's a campaign of you know us versus them. Um, and you know he's saying, look, in 2016, I I came into Washington and I I upended the system, and and this is what's happening. They've turned the legal system against me. They weaponized it against their political opponent. They see Joe Biden as being a weak candidate, and and the, you know that has resonance within the Republican primary voters who you know are are angry at government and and distrust government, um, and and you know the the interesting thing about his strategy is it really uh, puts his primary opponents in a box. Um, you can either say, hey, we're with you, but then that undercuts their argument as to why they should be the nominee. And we've seen, you know, people like Ron DeSantis do that. Um, and and then you have the others, like the Chris Christie's of the world, who are saying, well, you know, no, Trump's Trump's wrong in this case. And it puts them on the wrong side of Republican primary voters. Um, so, you know, as as these cases come out, and I think, you know, maybe we've we finally have run our, our, our course of, of cases um, or indictments, um, you know, Donald Trump remains very, very, uh, popular among Republican primary voters. He remains very, very popular among Republican primary voters in Iowa and New Hampshire. Hmm. Um, and it's very difficult to see if he is successful there, how that would do, you know, how, how he would be denied the Republican presidential nomination from that point going forward. Uh, so I feel like there are two different dynamics at work. One is the popularity of the former president just on his own terms inside the Republican Party. The other is the popularity that he seems to be able to leverage by leaning into this idea that that he has perpetrated more than anybody that there is a massive conspiracy underway in states like Georgia and Michigan to have fake votes cast and counted that took the presidency away from him. I wonder if, if, if you can sort of separate those two and talk about whether 
the the piling on at this point of criminal charges against the president uh, pumps him up in terms of his popularity in a way that he would not necessarily be able to do uh, if he weren't in in that kind of trouble. In other words, linking um, linking him to this general idea about election fraud, which of course we all are supposed to to be repeating that it is false, that there is no proof of it. Um, does it does this blow him up? in the party in a way that he would not otherwise be able to do. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a very significant rallying cry for him, and uh, he puts himself forward as uh, me against the system. And if they can do this to me, wait till you see what they can do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, heading into this primary season, no one was surprised that he was charged in Georgia. That was already baked into it. Uh, no one was really surprised that Jack Smith came forward with what he came forward with. Uh, Republican primary voters expected that. And so as you you know look at a calendar next year, which is going to be just utterly bizarre between um, you know primary debates, uh, presumably general election debates and court cases going on all at the same time. Uh, yeah, you know he puts he you know he does a very good job of putting himself in the center of these things. Um, which, you know, increases his popularity, like we said, among Republican primary voters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Dennis Darnoy. Uh, he is a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data. We're talking about Donald Trump, uh, the former president of the United States, the indictments that he now faces in the state of Georgia uh, that add to uh, charges that he faces in a federal context and in at least one other state. Uh, We want to hear from you about how you think this affects the state GOP, uh, the Michigan uh, Republican Party, which has troubles of its own and has been in a good deal of turmoil for some time, largely because of the influence of Donald Trump. How do these new charges change that or do they not change it? Uh, How do they affect what will happen next year when the Republican Party will choose a new candidate for president and the nation will choose a new president? We especially want to hear from Republicans. If you're out there, uh, give us a sense of how you react to this. Do you Uh, make this part of your calculus in terms of who you might vote for in next year's primaries. The first debate in the presidential contest is set to happen just a week away. I know it seems like the election's pretty far off, but election season is just around the corner. The number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can make you part of the program that way. Carl on Twitter says these are unforced errors by Trump. If he had just admitted he lost and given back the classified documents when asked, like a normal person, He would be running again without all of this. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. And you can go uh, to Twitter to uh, join the conversation. Okay, Dennis, I want to talk about the state GOP, the trouble that it has, and I guess how this all plays into that. One of the big problems they have right now is money. Uh, The fundraising for the party has dipped precipitously uh, since Christina Caramo was elected as uh, as the leader 
of of the state GOP. How does the Trump trouble play into that and into the divide that's opened up inside the state party over uh, that money and over her leadership? Yeah, so on, on, on the money side of things, Trump doesn't really – you know, have that much of an impact on that um, because what you're going to see is is for the presidential race here in Michigan, that's mainly going to be funded, <clears throat> excuse me, at the at the federal level or you know federal money coming in. For the U.S. Senate race, who whomever the Republican candidate is, um, they're going to have to rely on their own fundraising as well, um, and maybe some some outside um, you know independent groups coming in and supporting them. Um, the road back to the Senate for Republicans doesn't necessarily go through Michigan. Um, you know, you're looking at West Virginia, Montana, you know, maybe even in Arizona. Um, so, you know, whomever the candidate is going to be, he or she is going to have to have their own fundraising apparatus. Where it's going to be interesting is at the state house level. And as you mentioned, it's a very uh, competitive environment heading into you know this new cycle, probably between 13 and 15 seats that legitimately could uh, determine you know who's going to control the the Michigan House next cycle. You know usually state parties are going to help you out with uh, you know bulk rates and and mailings and volunteers and things like that. So if if they do not have the money, which it does not look like they will. Um, and individuals will not be willing to give to a, a party that is really absent of leadership. Uh, the question is, how are those state candidates going to be funded? Uh, we see the House caucus certainly going off on their own and raising money. There are probably going to be groups who are interested in seeing uh, a Republican state house, um, you know, challenge some of the things that uh, unfettered democratic control of state government has passed. Um, so I think the money will be there, but a lot of the institutional benefits that you can get from state party certainly won't be there for, for House Republicans. So it means they're going to have to raise more in order to get what they normally would get. Um, and again, with a, with 11, you know, again, 11 to 15 seats, it's not impossible, but it's certainly, you know, it, it's it's making the, the challenge that much harder. Mm -hmm. In terms of Trump overall, I mean, as we've seen the last three cycles, um, Michigan voters in a general election have not been receptive to uh, the message that has been delivered by uh, Trump Republicans. And so whomever you know, first of all, then you've got the primary, so obviously Republican candidates have to tiptoe that. And then second of all, when they're running in a general in these competitive House districts, they're going to have to, to navigate um, all of the uh, things that are going on with Donald Trump and in his orbit while trying to make an argument why they should you know, take back the House or why they should be elected. Um, so again, it's a very, uh, it's a challenging environment, not one that um, you necessarily would like. You'd like to have a cleaner run towards towards the finish line, but it is one that still could be navigated. Um, it's just going to be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the Senate race here in in Michigan? Where on the Democratic side, we've got a couple of candidates who at least. 
uh, are in the race and really, really making a go of it. Of course, Alyssa Slotkin, who is a member of Congress already, is kind of at the top of that heap in, in, in terms of, I think, money and, and probably in terms of uh, popularity. But we did see uh, Detroiter Hill Harper jump into the race as well. And that's somebody who could uh, raise a significant amount of funds and, and probably make some noise in that race as well. The Republican side has been more of a murky picture. And and I feel like some of that is about this trouble sorting out what to do with Donald Trump, what to do about Donald Trump and his influence. Uh, with, with Trump facing increasing legal trouble, uh, what does that do to the the Republican picture on the side of on in that Senate race? Uh, does it clear it up more? Does it make it easier for someone to emerge as a strong consensus candidate, or does it does it divide the party further on on that count too and make it make it more difficult uh, to take uh, that seat? A Republican has not won a Senate race here in Michigan since. The late 1990s, as a long time. Uh, this is this is an opportunity for an open seat. I would imagine there are a lot of people who think you've got to you got to make a move here, uh, and and you'd you'd love, to, of course, to come out on the on the side of the victors. Yeah, I mean, Spence Abraham being the last Republican uh, senator from from Michigan. Yeah, the the Trump issue is going to again create the division that we've seen um, over these last three cycles, where. Uh, within the Republican primary, you're going to have some voters who want to move on, want to, you know, move past all of this, um, not talk about, um, you know, 2020. They want to focus on some of the economic issues, America's standing internationally, um, a lot of different, really, I mean, important issues that need to be discussed. But, um, you know, if the Republican primary is going to be a, a you know, loyalty test to Donald Trump, it, it really, you know, limits what Republicans can then do in the general election. And as I said, the other issue is whomever the candidate is going to be for, for the U.S. Senate on the Republican side is going to have to have a fundraising apparatus. He or she is going to have to have the ability to tap into a, a national network. They're going to have to raise money on their own and and not expect, um, you know, the Senate, the uh, Senate Republican Caucus to uh, come in at, at the national level. I mean, there will be some money, but we are talking about a significant amount of money that is needed to run uh, a, a successful U.S. Senate race. So the longer we're having this debate about, you know, Donald Trump and his indictments and should we or shouldn't we, uh, the less time we are focusing on, you know, what a U.S. Senate candidate uh, should be talking about. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we're, we, yes, it seems like we're far away, but we are really only a year away from uh, the primaries here in, in Michigan. Um, so Republicans would be better served uh, getting a candidate relatively soon uh, with pretty good name recognition and a great fundraising apparatus in order to start that, that process. Um, and so, so who the, time would is, that, you know, the clock is ticking. Who, so. who would you put on that list as, as, a possibility. Who, who are people who could, again, either finance themselves or raise the money for a, a race that I think everybody agrees is going to be very expensive, but also rally both factions of the party uh, behind them to be able to to mount a real challenge against uh, against the Democratic candidate. 
Well, I'd say right now it's it's nobody who's who's one of the announced candidates. Um, I think you'd be looking at at someone who uh, you know has has yet to declare, mm. um, and and again maybe someone who's been either with you know probably you you'd want someone who has um, experience um, whether it's at the you know congressional level or maybe even you know at the state level. Um, and and so you know, I think that's what what uh, you know certain candidates right now are looking at and saying, or you know potential candidates looking at and saying, is there a way for for me to like make this work? Um, and you know, am I sufficiently able to navigate a uh, Republican primary in this environment while remaining viable for a general election? Um, you certainly don't want to be putting your own money into something that that from the get go is a is a losing you know, venture. So, um, you know, it, it's difficult. And, and again, I think it's not just Michigan. We've seen this in other states where uh, there are opportunities for Republicans to mount a, a competitive challenge for some U.S. Senate seats, but they quite, uh, you know, they haven't quite pulled the trigger yet. And I think, honestly, with the, with the exception of uh, West Virginia, uh, Republicans are still looking for a lot of their top tier candidates running in, uh, you know, for these U.S. Senate seats. So hopefully uh, between now and December, we'll, we'll, you know, the race will be a little bit more settled and, you know, we'll see, you know, how it plays out. Yeah. Okay. Dennis Darnoy, uh, Republican political consultant. Always great to have you and your perspective here on the show. Thanks for joining us to talk about uh, Donald Trump and his influence over the Michigan GOP. Thank you very much. Have a great Wednesday. When we come back, we are going to get the perspective on the latest indictment against Donald Trump from a Michigan conservative who voted for him twice. Michael Seltzer is a retired marketing executive and a member of the Franklin Council. We're going to talk with him about his support for the former president, whether that's holding strong, whether he's reconsidering. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. The perspective you have on the latest charges against former President Donald Trump can vary greatly depending on a number of factors, including where you live, what's your party affiliation, and whom you voted for in prior elections. For progressives, these indictments cite compelling evidence of improper conduct and I think a lot of people would say this should disqualify the former president from running next year. But what do conservatives and Trump voters make of that same evidence and what accounts for those differences? That's where we want to continue the conversation here. And we want to talk with Michael Seltzer, a retired marketing executive who voted for Donald Trump in the past two elections. Uh, Michael, welcome to Detroit Today. Morning, Stephen. I'm happy to be here. I know you and your career very well, and it's uh, it's a challenge to try to unpack all of this in <laughs> block with only ten minutes left. Yes. But I'm gonna, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, no. I, 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 think... I have a, no, a number of friends at WDET and Delisi and Don was uh, have uh, weekly programs. I'd like to suggest a one-hour weekly program called Talking Trump, and I'd be happy to host it. <laughs> but get perspectives and 
consider how many conservatives I could bring to the airwaves. Uh, you're, you're not wrong about that, Michael. We could we yeah. could have some discussions about that. I should also notice you're you are a councilman serving your fourth term in uh, Franklin Village. So 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 let's start with what you make of what we learned yesterday about what the prosecutor in Fulton County in Georgia says Donald Trump did. Do you see things in the same way that she has laid out? No, I don't. And I don't think that most of us do. I think that there's just a, you know, it's unfortunate. There's been such a piling on and that we are a bit numb by this because it's been um, a a continuing effort to denigrate uh, Trump and by extension conservatives and 75 million Americans that voted for him uh, that it's frustrating to us. And, and look, I'm of the opinion that I would love to see Donald Trump take a victory lap and hand the baton to one of the many fine candidates that we have on our slate. Mm. It's ironic to me that the Republican Party has the most diverse slate of potential presidential candidates and that by comparison, the Democratic Party, which claims to be the party that represents everyone, has but an 80-year-old man running against a 70-year-old man, both white, and they don't even want to give any credence to the 70-year-old who has a legacy attached to his name, albeit unusual in Mm -hmm. his perspectives. You're talking about Robert Kennedy Jr., yes. I sure am. And so, look, I feel... I, I think Donald Trump did a great job in his in his four years. I think that if we look back at previous to COVID, there was pretty much a certainty that he was going to be reelected. We had a great economy. We had low interest rates. We had no inflation. We had Russia completely under control. I mean, it's no coincidence to me that previous to Trump and prior, uh, Russia has flexed its muscle. So while everyone came into the the belief that Donald Trump was going to be a warmonger and it was going to be outrageous, he kept things peaceful and we had a great economy. Everything was rolling along perfectly until COVID. Hmm. And then COVID came and did what he did. And people criticized him for shutting down travel between China and the United States. And then, of course, looking back on it, it was the right thing to have done. He marshaled through a vaccine in record time and doesn't get credit for that. I mean, it's just a total disrespect. Yeah, I mean. The first first, uh, first lady who uh, was an immigrant and she was totally disregarded. Mm. Uh, you know, Michael, I, 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 some of the things you're saying, I think, ring, ring true to me. I mean, certainly the diversity argument you're making is very strange, given that the Democrats in the last 15 years have produced the first African-American president and the first African-American vice president. Um, but, but, and that Republicans have, have almost never elected African-Americans to, to, to any high office. Tim Scott is the one exception there. But, but I, I, I'm interested in what, something you just said earlier about you wanting the party to move on. You're talking about the things that, that Donald Trump did that you thought were great. Why, in your mind... Is it time for somebody else? Look, he's a lightning rod. And and just by virtue of this conversation and many others that I have, I have many conservative friends and many liberal friends. And we debate this all the time. I think that Trump had done a great job, but he has been so vilified. I mean, come on, look at the number of indictments. It's, it's a joke. 
where can a president go for a fair trial? Someone who is as beloved as he is in some uh, sectors and so hated, viscerally hated in others, where can there possibly be a fair trial? And he's got four. So, so would you major- say that, that you can't prosecute a former president, even given the things that that we're talking about that he did? I mean, this idea that uh, should presidents be above the law? That's a Nixonian argument, isn't it? I'm a law and order guy. And and I think Trump was a law and order president. We were, uh, we had, uh, the crime in America is really the number one concern that most people have. I think most Americans, 80% of Americans all believe in the same things. It's that 20% that we, we, we differ on. And when you ask people how they feel about the, the, the country today, I can't imagine anybody saying that they feel they're better off than they were four years ago. I just don't think it's realistic. Well, we have Four years ago, we were, we were really facing... Uh, you know, an epic uh, pandemic that was not handled well, Uh, Michael. I mean, you know, this idea that this was a trip up for the president, of course it was. Someone once said that the test of a president is how they manage the things they haven't prepared for, not the things that they say they want to do when they're on the trail. I don't know that Donald Trump really passed that test. Um, uh, You know, I, I respectfully disagree. I think that the media is driven. The narrative from the media is typically denigrating to conservatives. It is a liberal mainstream media driven by the two coasts of California and New York, which are liberal states and most marketing. Well, most- what's the most popular cable news network? I mean, isn't it Fox, which well, is Fox not is- which is not liberal? Uh, it, it- Fox is not liberal. It's the one place that conservatives can go to hear the other side. But trust me when I tell you, I listen to MSNBC and Morning Joe. I watch The View and I hear what they say. Denigrating Tim Scott was was outrageous to me. And he took he took them on. I, I think that we have a country that is very polarized mm-hmm. and driven by a narrative from the media primarily. There's media dominance that has a liberal focus. And networks like yours uh, and PBS are not favored by conservatives because we don't feel we get a fair shake. Mm. Well, so, I hope you feel like you got a fair shake here, Michael. I, I, I have one. I have, we are going to run out of time. I have one last question for you, though. If you have to, let's say it's uh, the primary election is tomorrow here in, in Michigan. Who does Michael Seltzer vote for? I'm I'm going to support uh, Trump at this point, but I, but here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to support a Republican candidate, and here's something novel. Let me just throw this out real quick. What if Joe Biden were to look at the poll numbers and say, you know what, the poll numbers indicate that the country is really ready to move on from me and from Trump. We're both too old, and the the you know the the popularity. Yeah, we're going we're going to run out of time here, Michael. Right, what, what, yeah. What ahead. if Joe Biden? Said, look, I'm going to step down. I don't think it's the right thing for the country to do. I'm going to pardon Donald Trump if he agrees to step down. Mm. Let us both hand the batons to younger members of the mm. community. Yeah, Michael, and I think there are a lot of people who would agree with that, both Democrat and Republican. So it's a oh, great, yeah. great note to end the show on. Michael, I really appreciate you coming on to, uh, to talk nice to us. We'll have you back. All right, that's going to do it for us today here on Detroit Today. Uh, talk again tomorrow. If you want more of this conversation, you can find it at WDET.org.
like this show, you get a lot out of it, you ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors, your relatives, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our student producer is Mira Kumar. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.